Democracy Dies in Darkness, Bob Woodward, and the official slogan of the Washington Post. Welcome back. Welcome to episode six of season two of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. I apologize that I haven't put a podcast out for several weeks. I've been struggling with some health issues, and the majority of my energy I save for my clients, but I'm better, and here we are. My guest today is a recovering emetophobic, Nikki Campo from Charlotte, North Carolina, and she has written and published an article in the parenting section of the Washington Post about emetophobia. Hi, Nikki. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, I, I think I remember that you're from Charlotte, North Carolina. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Yes. And my my writing partner for our emetophobia book for for therapists lives in Charlotte as well. So is that Dr. Uh, David Russ? Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um very nice man. And uh I really would like to go there sometime. It looks beautiful. It, it is beautiful nice. and it's beautiful in December right now. I'm liking 70 oh. degrees. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think that's I think that's about 20 degrees in Canada in in every other country in the world I should say uh, yeah, in Celsius sorry. and 20 is um yeah it's it's about 2 degrees here in Burr. and that's on the west coast. Yeah, and we're probably the warmest place in Canada right now, so. Well, um You've you've written an article for the Washington Post, which I want to get to, but I would love to hear first, and I'm sure our listeners would just like to hear your story about emetophobia, what when it started and what it's been like for you. Sure. Um, I'm not 100% sure when it started, but I've been through a little bit of therapy, and I think we've narrowed it down to... Um, the carnival in my hometown when I was about 11 years old. And there was this ride called the salt and pepper shaker. And so it had these two metal egg shaped cages on the end of like this pole, right? right? So the whole pole spins around and the metal egg shaped cages spin around. Um, And I had never had a problem with those types of rides. And I was going to ride it with my best friend and this little boy that I had a crush on. And his friend said, you shouldn't get in that thing with Brad. You know, he's, he doesn't do well with spinning rides. And the reason I think this is where it started is because my response was, he'll be fine. Get in. And now that would never be my response Mm. if there was ever, you know, a chance that someone would be sick. But anyway, we got in this ride, the metal cage locks, we start spinning, the whole thing starts spinning. And by the end, um, Brad was throwing up in the locked Mm. metal cage. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just remember screaming a lot. And when it finally came to a stop and the cage was unlocked and the, you know, the person running the ride, let us get out. I just ran. This was before cell phones. And I ran the two blocks Mm. to the nearest payphone, called my mom and said, come get me. And so I think that's where it started. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Oh. And so in childhood, you know, I just remember I avoided chicken for probably a decade. Um, I, anytime someone was sick around me, it was just panic, shaking body, feeling like I was probably sick, you know, um, all those feelings. And then even as I got older, um, flying in airplanes, anytime someone reached for the seat back pocket, I assumed they were going mm. for the air sickness bag. Um, Mm -hmm. any public restroom Mm -hmm. that I've ever entered in my life, I will scan under the doors to see if there are any feet facing the toilet instead of facing outward, you know, for signs that someone is sick. So, um, that was sort of the early, my early experience of it. And all this time I didn't know there was a name. I didn't talk to anyone about it. It was just sort of, you know, this shameful secret that I kept. Um, and I didn't think I would have kids for a while, for a long time. And then my mom got diagnosed with stage four cancer. And suddenly my um, desire to have a baby that she would know kind of usurped my (laughs) emetophobia temporarily. Um, So my husband and I, we, I now have three children, by the way. So it's a story with a happy ending, but yeah. Um, I made it through three rounds of morning sickness, um, but then I I didn't assume, but um, I thought maybe when it was my kid, it might be different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I might be able to easily care for a child who is mine, and that was not the case. <laughs> and this is this is where the impetus for the Washington Post article came from because I think. For parents, especially, it's kind of a shameful world to live in as an emetophobe because, mm-hmm. you know, what do you mean? How can it be hard to care for your child when they're sick? It's just, even if no one says it out loud, you kind of say it to yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. So the first time my, he was four at the time, my first child got sick. My husband was out of town. So it's just me. Of course. Why of are they course. always out of town? Always. Yeah. Always. It's always at right. night. And you're always alone. Um, But I had prepared, of course, this won't come as a surprise to you. I had purchased long before anyone was sick. I probably had these things in storage for years. Big plastic painter's drop cloths that I envisioned like covering a couch with, which I did do. Okay. Okay. And I had pre-prepared buckets with like a plastic bag, some paper towels, another Mm -hmm. plastic bag, some paper towels so that... In the event someone was sick, I could, you know, hand them the bucket, immediately bag it, get it out and be ready for the next round Um, because little kids can't make it to the toilet on their own. Um, I had gloves, I had masks, and I had hospital grade cleaning supplies because I knew that Clorox doesn't kill norovirus and, you know, you need It actually does. It does. If it it has bleach. But some of the Lysol wipes, I shouldn't have said Clark's, some of the Lysol wipes don't contain bleach. No, that's true. The Lysol wipes could contain benzylconium benzylconium chloride, though. That also kills norovirus. You have to check. Different in different countries. Plus, uh, sorry to interrupt your story, but it's just that the listeners are probably going, what? What do you mean? Yeah. You know, so. (laughs) Please, yeah, Um, correct me. Yeah, the uh, benzylconium chloride is is really good, actually. But all of these things do have to be left on for about two minutes, even the hand sanitizer. You've got to leave it on without wiping it off or, you know, whatever. And the same with those wipes. Um, 
which you probably would. But if you have bleach in a spray bottle, a teaspoon per liter or quart in America, uh, and you spray it, then you leave it on for two minutes before you wipe it down. Mm. And then it'll... Uh, so, all right, time back that's, in. You can, yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> no, that's resume helpful. Your, resume your story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you um, had hospital-grade cleaner. That's good. I did. Okay. Yes, I had it all ready to go. It was kind of stationed behind the couch that I envisioned bringing a child to if they were sick, um, which I did. So I found him in his room. I brought him directly. Well, I put him in the bathroom on the floor I could easily clean, set up the couch area, and then brought him back out. Um, and though I survived that, um, it did not make emetophobia any better. It was not, um, then I just sort of lived in fear of who's going to catch it next and when is it coming and do I feel sick and all that. Um, and then I had two more children over the course of the next few years, um, and spent, time every day, honestly, thinking about who's going to get sick and when, Um, especially as they started to be of preschool age. They're now four, seven, and nine. So I have third grade, first grade, and preschooler. Um, So they're kind of, you know, it's a a sticky place to be because I want, and I'm a little better now, we'll talk like post-therapy, I'm sure we'll get to that point, but Mm -hmm. pre-therapy, when I would pick my kids up, especially from preschool, or kindergarten, I would say, how was your day? And immediately I would say, who was sick from school or who was out? What do they have? Wow. Um, and then I would also say, who did you play with today? And while I was, I mm. sort of wanted to just know who they played with. I also wanted to know in case they tell me today I played with Max and then tomorrow they tell me Max is out sick. Then I know it's time to be, you know, Scrubbing well, down and an, changing their clothes. Like an Excel spreadsheet to keep right. track of all that. Yeah. You do. It's like <laughs> it's like contact tracing, except for right. you know, stomach yeah. bugs. It's yeah. and I was I became an expert in that. And it's exhausting. Yeah. Um yeah. It it must be. Um I I just uh, like I'm just kind of in, I'm not amazed. That's not the right word because it's true of all almost everyone with the metaphobia, the lengths to which emetophobics will go in order to either avoid what you're afraid of yeah. or create a safety behavior so mm-hmm. that somehow, you know, like all this preparation that you did, and yet you still had the phobia. If anything, that all makes the phobia worse because it, it, kind of reinforces in your brain that there's something very dangerous and you really have to prepare for it. Right. You know, when really it's, it's not, it's, it's just vomit, you know, I mean, right. I can say that now just vomit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like I, it's not like someone listening is going to go, Oh, okay. You know, but, um, but you get to that point, I think where you can yeah. believe that it's just, it's kind of just vomit. Um, you, you talked about this carnival ride and you think that's where your metaphobia started. I'm Mm -hmm. interested to hear what you think about how, how is it that other children, even the other children in the ride with you probably did not develop a metaphobia. Do you have any ideas about that? I don't, I don't know how I don't. And I honestly don't know if that 
is what, if that was the, the prompt of emetophobia or not. Okay. I just know that yeah. I, I can't imagine myself reacting that way now. If someone said ahead of time, don't get in a ride with someone who's going to feel motion sick. No way in right. the world. Now I would run screaming. Um, but then <laughs> I just yeah. said, no, no problem. I'm going to get in the ride. And then after that point in time, I don't have any mm. memories where vomit wasn't terrifying. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know why it doesn't affect everyone the same way. I wish that doctors Veal and Keys and Boshin and Ross and you could help us figure yes. that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we have suspicions, you know, but we, but, but we don't have anything definitive scientific kind of, uh, you know, we suspect that it has to do with something that begins in the emotional attachment you have to your mother. You know, some people's moms just went to work, you know, they, it's not like they, uh, locked you up in a cage and, you know, uh, fed you dog food or something. They, <laughs> it doesn't take very much for for that to happen. We we do know that about fifty percent of uh, anxiety and depression is inherited, or at least mm -hmm. it has a family connection. Um, mm -hmm. So you're kind of born with a genetic predisposition in the first place. Mm -hmm. So you've already got a couple strikes, you know, and yeah. then, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so what, but, but like I said, these are just ideas. And in the end, it doesn't matter how you got it because yeah. the fix for it is the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. So, um, so tell us about your, your work on recovery then. Yeah. I know you've been working at that. Yes, I have. Um, with great progress. I'm happy to, I'm happy to say um, what happened was I had heard of exposure therapy as I think many emetophobes have and thought, no way that's out of the question. I'm not going to look, see, think about, or expose mm. myself otherwise to this thing I've been spending my life avoiding. No way. Um, except that during the pandemic, um, when all three of my children were home, my husband was working from home. I was at home. We didn't go anywhere. And a few months into the pandemic, I noticed something about myself that I had never noticed before, which was that I was completely calm. I wasn't thinking about vomit every day. Oh. Okay. Um, I just wasn't scared. Um, I was kissing my kids on the cheek without thinking about it. You know, just all these things mm -hmm. that had previously, at least something had triggered in my mind, like, uh oh, am I picking up a germ or spreading a germ? Um, just sort of went away. And I was like, wait, this is this is how most people must live, right? Ironically, because right. you know, there was a global pathogen ravaging the globe. And yet here I was at home thinking, I'm actually pretty calm with respect to emetophobia. I'm not fearing it. And this feels amazing. Maybe it's time mm -hmm. to seek treatment so that this feeling can stick around. Um, so I started down the path of looking for a therapist, which was very hard. Um, I contacted your co-author, Dr. David Russ, um, who mm -hmm. was full at the time. I contacted you yeah. and you were right. full at the time. Um, so I felt a little bit stuck without professional help, but, um, my background is in research and analytics and now I'm a writer. Mm. And so right. I started, I started researching emetophobia to figure out what was known, and I kept coming across the same names. Um, I know you interviewed recently 
Dr. Veal and Dr. Keys in the yes. UK. And then there's Mark Boshin in Australia. Um, right. And so I decided to um, pitch an idea to the Washington Post parenting section on what it's like to parent with emetophobia. Um, mm-hmm. And the pitch was accepted, which gave me the ability to write about the situation, but also to go to those people and say, hey, could I interview you for this article in the Washington mm-hmm. Post? So I got a chance to talk to um, Dr. Keyes and Dr. Boshin and Dr. Russ um, and Ken Goodman, who I know you also have interviewed on your podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was wonderful. It was like getting therapy without getting therapy, but also really mm. getting into the minds of the experts who have been studying this for so long. Um, mm-hmm. And part of writing the article was, my, it was, it was sort of my first step of exposure therapy because I did a lot of talking about it in ways that I had never okay. talked about it before. Um, I had to do a lot of thinking about it just to write a personal story. So I had to kind of dig back through my memories and my true emotions to think, all right, how do you kind of, cause it's not a fun essay to read. If you just say, I have this fear of vomit, I don't understand it. And it makes my life hard. But if you can <laughs> be more honest, right. And more yes. thorough and yeah. specific, mm-hmm. um, then you can sort of reach more people and do a little more healing. Um, so in the middle of the writing, I also found an exposure there, uh, a cognitive behavioral therapist here in Charlotte who had some emetophobia Excellent. experience. Yes. So I wrote the article, but I also got 12 weeks, I think it was, of cognitive behavioral therapy with mm-hmm. exposure therapy. And she, out of her own, I did not recommend this, but she used your resources from your website, the yes. different all yeah. the different stages yeah. and kind of well, guided me on how I've to got use like those. like 10,000 backlinks to that resource yeah. page. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't I'm sure. I didn't any of them. So I'm so I'm happy sure. about that. It's been up mm-hmm. for 11 years. So, you know, yeah. that's yeah. great. That's great. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It's really useful and thorough. And I loved the ability to navigate specifically to the children section. Because as yes, a parent, right. those were really important pictures and right. mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. to experience. Um, yeah. yeah. And hard things to experience, but but good things to experience. Yes. Yeah. 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 The kids, um, I put up the kids page actually because David Russ, um, he was going to put up a, a website with exposure resources for kids mm-hmm. uh, because he main, he mainly treats children. Right. Um, and then he said, but then I thought well, I can just, I would, why don't I just link to, why don't you do it? <laughs> and I'll just link to that. But so the, those pages are for kids, but I often navigate over there um, for parents as well, because there are pictures of nauseous little kids and pictures yeah. of little kids with, Bowls and you know what I mean? Like that, it's very gradual, but still, yeah. And I even got one fabulous picture of a, a little kid in hospital, like just with, mm. with one of those vomit bowls laying beside them, which is a very triggering picture for many it people. Is. Um, yeah. So in that sense, you know, it's mm-hmm. good. But, but they all start off easy with just looking at words and looking at drawings, silly little mm-hmm. cartoons you know, things mm-hmm. like that. So you go at your own pace, definitely. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So um, how much of your life does it affect now? Like how, what's, how, what is different for you? Oh, so much. Um, and I think what was really helpful about my therapist was I said at the beginning, what does recovery look like? Am I just going to not, not it's, this is not going to affect me at all. And she said, uh, I don't know that that's a reasonable expectation, but you should be able to go through the day without thinking about vomit, right? That sort of hypervigilance, right. ever aware part should be gone. Um, and that is, that's where I am. Um, I've had, ironically, my own, my only stomach bug in years happened while I was in exposure therapy, which was oh wow, useful yeah. and good. Um, yeah, it can be, but it's not you know, it's the top of your hierarchy, right? And you probably weren't at the top by that time. No. It seems mo usually most inconvenient, but, um, you know, it, that, that can be, were you okay? What, what, how I did was, it you? I was okay-ish um, in the lead up <laughs> to it when all of the, you know, the, uh-oh, is, is, is this going to be the night? All of those thoughts, the nausea, the, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? that was still pretty heightened as kind of normal. Um, but then once it started happening, it was a different state of mind. It wasn't, I wasn't panicked. Mm -hmm. I was right. disgusted and uncomfortable and I hated it, yeah. but I wasn't right. fearful. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And every single person that's a metaphobic that goes through that says, Okay, I exaggerate. I just thought of a woman who didn't say that. But <laughs> almost everyone, <laughs> almost everyone says the same thing. It's not that bad when you're doing it. What's bad is waiting for it, right. anticipating it. And phobias really are about anticipating something yeah. dangerous or catastrophic that turns out not to be dangerous or catastrophic. So right. then your brain goes, oh, oh, I'm sorry for all those years. Um my bad, you know, never mind. <laughs> You're all right. 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 Yeah. But for me, that, that little hiatus is always short lived. So, you know, that, that feeling True. of afterwards, it like, yes. that wasn't yeah. so bad. That wasn't so bad. Right. Last for, you know, three or four days. And then it's yeah. back to, well, I don't, don't want to do that again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I found it helpful to write on a little card what, what, what you're thinking at the time when it's not so bad oh, and carry the card around with you. And every time yeah. you feel scared, you can pull it out and look at it, you know, like it's not that bad. And I, on my little card, I had, I had a bigger little card with a few things on it, but one of them was you're not in any danger. And that yeah. was my favorite. Other people have other favorite kind of mantras, you know, for, what helps them in the moment, but um, mm -hmm. that was mine. You're not in danger. You know, this is just a a thing, just a thing, just a situation yeah. you're in. That's all. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. And I like the idea of having your own thoughts from right after you were sick to kind of remind yourself, "Hey, I've yes. been there before. I could get back." There. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And. and when I was first sick, after having gone through CBT, I went through the CBT in 1983. And in 1996 was the first time that I vomited after that. And I said to myself, I probably said it out loud, I was alone at home, I said, that was a big fat nothing. 
Oh, wow. That's exactly what I said. That was a big fat nothing. I can't believe, you know, that I wasted so many years worrying about that. Like that was just not a big deal at all. Um, Wow. So, you know, it, it, it's different for different people. Mm-hmm. I have to say I was thrilled. Uh, I know you contacted me when you were, but like as you were writing and so on, mm-hmm. but I was really thrilled to see this article. I do subscribe to the Washington Post and the New York Times because I'm an American history and politics junkie. <laughs> <laughs> and have been since high school. I remember learning American history, you know, and just I I loved it because we always learned Canadian history from, you know, and and we're such, I don't know, um, sort of humble, uh, uh, pacifistic kind of people. We're not, uh, we're not, you know, we're not Switzerland or anything, but we are just, we have fur traders and yeah, the British, you know, we're British from British colony, but that's okay. We don't mind, you know, we're still, we still, our queen is still the head of state, but the Americans were like, no, and we want independence and no taxation without representation and all that. It was just so exciting. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I'll probably cut all that out. (laughs) But, uh, and go back to, I subscribe to the Washington Post. Yes. And the title of the article, The Quiet Shame of Parenting with a Fear of Vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really a lovely article. I think if it, if you don't normally subscribe, you could just Google that and you could probably get that. You could probably see that article. Usually the post yeah. lets you read one or two, um, you know, every month or something. Um, yeah. it is, it's a really nice article. It's really well done. Um, interesting with your story and then the various things that you learned from different, um, experts in the field. Mm-hmm. And thank, thank you. you also so much for all the website traffic I got after you put my website <laughs> address in there as well. Um, that's I don't know why I'm thankful. My practice is closed to new patients. I yeah. have had a hun- like almost a hundred people on a wait list. I was like, that's I'm going to be dead before I get to number one hundred. Yeah. I'm kidding. If you're number one hundred, I'm kidding. I won't. But <laughs> so I don't do this stuff for clients because I really don't need them. But I just. Wow, when I was a metaphor, even with the internet, there was nothing on it. Like, you know, right. even in the year 2000, like nothing. Right. Um, 2000, right up to, I think I put my website up uh, maybe um, earlier than 2010. I probably started with one in about 2008 and then kind of went from there. And I, I just wanted to help therapists, none of whom seem to know about it. It's a little better yeah. now, but wow, not a lot better. Not, not much. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, and they, uh, Dr. David Veal, who mm-hmm. um, is sort of the primary researcher in the world. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, I think on my podcast, he was just kind of very passionate about saying, people need to understand how serious this is. It's not a joke. It's not just not liking vomiting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and really, it's not like a phobia of puppies or spiders or clowns. Like, it's much, much more debilitating. And um, so everyone who makes recovery progress, like yourself, should be commended, you know. Um, 
and keep going, you know, just keep going, keep reading stuff. And your kids are, wow, four, seven, and nine. It's so interesting because my three smallest grandchildren are four and seven, uh, four and six and eight. Yes. So they're very close. Yeah. Yeah. And two of them live here with me. So they're fun ages, all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also had three kids, but my oldest just turned 47 yesterday. So, (laughs) wow. You don't look old enough to have a 47 year old. I'm not. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nikki, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. You're a delightful person. Um, your article is is wonderful. It's delightful. I don't think that if people can listen to this podcast, there's anything triggering in it at all. So I encourage you to look for it. And yeah, if you're American, subscribe to the Washington Post and the New York Times. They're great newspapers. <laughs> um, they are more, uh, I don't know. I, I know you guys uh, have a lot of party politics, so maybe I shouldn't say that because they're kind of left-leaning. Uh, they never used to be, though, eh? Like the Washington Post yeah. never used to be a left-leaning newspaper. It was I rather think they probably rustic. like to think they aren't either, that they're representing both sides, but yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I don't know. It's it's on. It's it's too bad. There's so much polarization. But yeah. I'll probably cut all this out too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Nikki. You've thank been a wonderful you so inspiration to all of us. Okay. Well, likewise. Thanks for having me. Okay, and thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. Um, thank you for hanging in with me, and and for all of, you've probably caught up with all the ones that you hadn't listened to before, for sure. Uh, There are costs associated with making this podcast. So if you find it helpful, you can buy me a coffee. Just look down to the bottom of the notes on this episode and you'll see a link right there. You can click and buy me a coffee for a couple of bucks, a couple of pounds. Um, They notified me they're not taking PayPal anymore uh, pretty soon. And uh, so I set up another payment method, which hopefully should be just as simple for everybody. And I want to shout out to the people that have bought me coffee uh, since the last episode. Allison, Julie, Sophia, and Suzanne, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, you have to pay to, you know, get your podcast up into all of those directories and then I pay a little bit to have the sound kind of fixed because I'm not much of a sound technician and uh, then I pay for another company that uh, so that the people recording can you know I can record people at a distance um, and see them and that that's just an excellent thing so uh, all in all it costs maybe about 50 bucks a month it's not a huge deal if you would like more information about emetophobia please go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org it has all kinds of free information and free resources for therapists meantime stay safe Uh, i think i missed hanukkah to wish you happy hanukkah um And so happy holidays to everyone and I'll hopefully all being well, I'll put another podcast out next week and every week on Monday thereafter.